It's not a tumor. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Don't panic, they'll be paid for most of us. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 80 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hey friends. Joe Eames. Hey there. AJ O'Neill. Hello. Coming at you. Well, pretty live. Almost alive, huh? Yeah. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and I just want to remind you to go pick up my uh, freelancing video, How I Went Freelance, at goingroguevideo.com. I also just posted another video to the list on how I use Evernote, so if you're interested in that, you can check that out too. Um, We also have a special guest this week, and that's Dominic... Hey there. I have to try it. Shablevsky. (laughs) Almost, yes. Shablevsky. Shablevsky. Okay. Right. <laughs> so since you haven't been on the show before, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the author of a JavaScript um, and HTML5 game engine called Impact. And the um, the HTML5 part about it is basically it's using the um, HTML5 canvas element and the audio elements. So canvas for drawing and audio for sound, obviously. And um, I've been working on that game engine for three years now. And it's a commercial product. I'm selling it. And it's basically my uh, main job right now. Interesting. So we did bring you on the show to talk about Impact. Do you want to just give us kind of a rundown of how you got started working on it? Yeah, sure. So I started on it uh, working in university. And my bachelor thesis was actually building an HTML5 game. It's called Biolab Disaster. Um, I released that in uh, 2010, I think. And I had to actually build a game engine for this game because there, there was no HTML5 game engine around at this, at that time. So, um, after I finished the game, I, I thought, hmm, I'm, I'm have, I have something really good right here. Um, maybe I can polish it up a bit more and, um, release it open source or maybe even sell it. So I spent another two or three months, um, writing documentation for it and polishing everything and, um, commenting the code properly and, and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, and, and try to, to sell it for this $99 on the, uh, impact website. And that's basically the story of how this was started. Man, that's, that's such a fascinating story to me for so many different reasons. It seems like there's, uh, especially in JavaScript, there's just such a culture of open source and, uh, you just kind of like live off people's goodwill somehow. How did you make the decision to try to sell it instead of doing it open source and like doing consulting or some of the other models for making money off of software? Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, um, I actually, uh, had to think long and hard about this, um, to, you know, if I, if I wanted to sell it, um, at first I, I w- just wanted to publish it open source and don't write any documentation for it whatsoever. But, um, you know, I was was done with university, and I was thinking um, I don't want to get a job anywhere. I I want to <laughs> do freelance work, and uh, maybe uh, build some iPhone games or stuff like that. And you know, it it was just an experiment to um, to see if I can actually sell a JavaScript framework for for ninety nine dollars. And 
the result is quite surprisingly that yes, I can, <laughs> that it, it worked out and, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm making a living off of, off of it. So yeah, it's, it's just an experiment or just started as an experiment and, and it worked. Do you end up doing lots of consulting related to impact as well? Or is it mostly just from sales of the product? Um, it's mostly from the sales of the product. I do make some money with um, advertisements on my games. There's one game I published uh, two years ago called Z-Type. Um, it's a type-to-shoot kind of game. Um, you know, a shoot-em-up game where you um, have to type the words on the screen. And there's a, a small ad banner from uh, Google on the on the side. And surprisingly, it still makes a lot of money each month, even even two years after the launch. So yeah, but most of the money comes from uh, selling the licenses, and I do um, do some freelance work now and then. Um, for instance, I um, polished some games for for Google's uh, Chrome for Android. They wanted to show off the browser, so I polished some games of mine and made sure they work really well on the on the browser, and you know stuff like that. I have to say that I'm actually very heartened by you charging for it. I'm a huge proponent of open source software, but at the same time, I mean, if this is something that people are going to rely upon, it's nice to know that there's a dedicated person behind it that basically gets paid to to keep it up and, and make it work. Yeah, that's one of the positive things about it. I really got some some angry emails and comments in my blogs when, when I announced that I wanted to sell the game <laughs> engine instead of um, re- releasing it open source. You and, had the audacity you know, really, to charge money yeah. for it. <laughs> people were really pissed off about this and, and asked me, how can, how can you do that? And, um, you know, it's JavaScript and it's open source anyway. So how can you charge money for it? But um, again, it, it worked out. And so I, I guess it proves me right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to get in a little bit to like game development, game, um, just writing games. The thing that, that I get, I mean, a game engine, you know, when you're building a game, you're basically moving elements or images around and, you know, things like that. Well, I, I guess what I'm curious about is uh, what goes into writing a game and how do you make sure it's a game that people will actually want to play? Well, the second part of the question is probably the, the harder one. Um, I'm going to answer the first one. Um, first. So if you have a game engine like Impact, what you have to do is build the, the game world you want to have. So if you, um, if you have a jump and run game, you have to build jump and run levels and, or for a top down, um, RPG kind of game, you, you build, um, bigger worlds and stuff like that. And then you have to, um, write the, the behavior for all the objects in the game world. So the main object for most games is, um, the player. Um, I'm calling these these objects entities in an impact. So you have a player entity, and uh, you program behavior um, that basically gets called sixty times per second. So you have an an update function on each of these entities that uh, gets continuously called for the player entity. That's for instance, um, if you press a button, you walk forward, and you um, write these um, yeah these these simple behaviors for for each of the entities. Um, for, for an enemy, for instance, it's um, checking the distance to the player and then moving the enemy um, into the direction of him. So, and if you have have all these things wired up, the game is basically playable. And and now comes the the hard part about it: um, tuning it so that it is fun to play. And it's it's really difficult to explain this. I guess it's a bit like um, 
like like an art form so you just have to do it and you you get better um with the time um your first games will probably suck and <laughs> you'll get better each time and each game you make you'll figure out stuff that that is fun to play and um you know what is uh, what isn't fun you also have to focus on what you actually want to achieve with the game so um maybe you have a game that wants to tell a story or uh, so it's it should be easy to play through or you have a game that's really hard and and the, the fun comes from actually beating the game so you know there are different kinds of of good gameplay again that's really hard to put in word to words <laughs> so i want to ask about html5 game development specifically i mean the browser used to browser games used to mean flash yeah. um and now javascript and html5 are are a viable alternative but there's also unity and and I think there's a couple other things to build games that work in browsers. So why do it in JavaScript and HTML? That's a good question. Actually, I, I wanted to uh, write a game for my bachelor thesis, and I looked into uh, into Flash first. And I looked at Flixel, the uh, Flash game engine, which was really popular back then. And I really struggled to get something working to um, to get stuff to behave in the way I wanted it to. And so I thought maybe I should write something on my own. And, uh, you know, I, uh, back then there was this discussion going on with, um, with the iPhone not supporting Flash. And there was a huge hype about HTML5 and can you write games in HTML5? And is this really an alternative to Flash? And, you know, I wanted to, um, to check it out to, um, to see if it, if it works. So, um, that's why I, uh, picked JavaScript to, to write this. And also, um, the canvas and audio elements were pretty new back then, and I'm curious, so I have an interest in everything that's new. <laughs> so I wanted to try it out. And yeah, surprisingly, in the end, um, I uh, could get my games working on the iPhone and other mobile phones uh, working in the browser. So I think that's the main reason to write games in HTML5 right now, to, to have it working everywhere. So you can run it on a phone and don't care about what operating system it is and, and on a browser and stuff too. Yeah. Uh, so if you have Unity browser, doesn't work on, on phones, right? Or does it? It does, but you, um, I think it's, it's really expensive for the Android license. I think it's about $600 or something. Okay. Um, and it's always a native app. So, um, I, I think the, um, HTML5 is pretty good at, uh, delivering games right where you are. So if you uh, visit a website, um, you can just play the game instead of installing an app and, and waiting for the download. And, you know, it's right there. And um, also, if, if you uh, want to publish your game as an app, you can bundle it with um, with some frameworks. Like um, in the beginning, I uh, tried using PhoneGap, which is basically just like a browser view uh, bundled as a native app for the iPhone and Android. And this it works just like in the browser, but mobile browsers still have some limitations. So I set out to, uh, to build another framework called Ejector. And this framework is, is open source and it's basically, um, a JavaScript runtime that simulates a canvas and audio elements. So it's like a browser that only, um, can display a canvas element. And it's, uh, really good at that. It's, it's really fast and the audio works, uh, way better than it does in mobile browsers. So if you want to publish your, your game as, as a native app, you can always use these frameworks without changing anything in the code. 
I think that's actually pretty cool. The the ejecta idea where you can you can write the game and then you can publish it to another platform like the iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's ejecta is for the uh, for iOS only, so it works on the iPhone and iPad. Um, but there are a couple of other projects. Um, Cocoon JS, for instance, works on Android as well, but it's not open source, so um, you have to use their. I think they have a cloud compiler, so you upload your HTML5 game and they will give you the uh, packaged app back. One thing that I want to ask about really quickly related to this is that um, if somebody's playing my game on the web and I want to be able to persist like some state, they're on this level, they're in this place in this world or dungeon, is there a way to do that with Ejecta? Uh, Ejecta supports the uh, local storage. Um, stuff like just like in the browser, where you can use uh, local storage to, um, you you know you have this uh, key value object um, where you just set some keys to I'm a level five, and when you load the page again, you can read this key back, and an eject that works exactly the same way as in the browser. So if you use the local storage API, um, it works in the browser as as um, the same as an ejector. So can you? I guess what I'm asking is, is if somebody gets to level five on the web, can I can they download the game onto their iPhone and get to level six from level five? Well, you can do that. Uh, you have to have a small API on your server and right. um, an ejector call some, you know, uh, with with AJAX, call an API on your server and and ask for the. Uh, the, the level the players in. So awesome. basically, you, you need something like user accounts for that, or a password, or, or something. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was kind of driving at. Yeah, but, so, uh, but of course you can. Uh, yeah, you can use the um, XML um, HTTP request API to load stuff from from different websites in Ejecta as well. So, is there a certain style of game that lends itself more towards uh, browser development? Like, I mean. I've seen the the Firefox demos that they use with um with that they've done with Epic where they port like the Unreal Engine to Firefox and I mean they do some crazy 3D rendering stuff but most of the HTML5 games I see seem more simple and more 2D games is that kind of a theme or do you think it's a viable platform for 3D games as well Well I think it's it will be a viable platform for 3D games in the future I'm I'm not sure it's quite there yet but the interesting thing is that you know you had this uh, these really really simple games um, f- five years back you you didn't even have any action games and written in JavaScript you only had some simple puzzle games where you have to click some buttons or something um, and now you have uh, 2D action games and uh, shoot 'em ups with thousands of of bullets on the screen and you also have these crazy experiments with 3D games and I think the the browser is really catching up to what you can do on game consoles and uh, on desktop games. I don't think it will ever be at the same level as game consoles because, you know, it's running in the browser and the browser is not dedicated as a game system. But uh, I believe the gap will get smaller and smaller. And with Impact, I'm I'm focusing mainly on things you could do with the uh, Super Nintendo. So think several background layers and uh, some objects on top of it. But of course, with potentially better graphics. And, you know, if you wanted to to build maybe a poker game or something, um, I wouldn't recommend Impact for this. Impact is, is mainly focused on action games and stuff where there's real-time movement and collisions and stuff like that. So one question related to this is, does it tie into physics engines or include a physics engine? 
Uh, well, there's a um, very simple physics engine in Impact uh, directly. This is used for um, for all the example games on, on the website and uh, for all games I wrote myself. Um, and then there's a plugin for Box2D. Um, so if you need robust uh, f- uh, physics, um, you know, with um, with ropes and, and stuff like that, um, you can always use Box2D. But if, if you use Box2D, it will get a bit more complicated because you have to configure so much stuff. You have to set up all the game objects and... Um, uh, and all the vertices you have to um, put around your game objects and and define stuff like uh, the weight of the objects and um, all these these things make make the game development um, a bit more complicated. That's why uh, Impact comes with a very simple physics engine built in that you can use for for most action and arcade games. Okay, because I have this brilliant idea for a hit game called Mad Avians, and I, I thought you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. So what about AI and things like that? It's interesting that uh, Impact has has gained quite a community of devoted programmers. Um, so there are plugins for for everything. Um, you have, for instance, a Pathfinder plugin that you can use right in Impact. And um, if you you know if you want to walk uh, to have an enemy walk from uh, one side of your game level to the other side. Um, you can use this Pathfinder plugin, so this enemy will find its its way. Um, there are people um, writing tutorials on on how to program uh, special behavior of all the of all the um, enemies and and stuff like that. There's nothing built in into Impact uh, for enemy AI. AI. So um, Impact only concerns about um, about basic game objects that move around and collide with each other and um, can measure the distance to each other and stuff like that. Um, but you actually have to decide for yourself what you want to do with all this information. If you, For instance, if you want to approach the player or, or run away or something like that. So that's, that's the, the main job you have to do as, as a game developer, a de- developer I think, to, um, to program all this behavior of all the different objects in the game world. So how do you hit that sweet spot where people are going to want to play the game? I mean, obviously you don't want to make it too easy or too hard. Are there are there tactics that people use to when building the games to make them engaging or yeah, or, sure. So microtransactions uh, <laughs> done. I try to avoid these. <laughs> so uh, what what you can do is um, you can make the game uh, pretty hard. So w- one thing, if you develop games. I think you tend to always make them too hard because, um, you know, you, you write a portion of your game and then you try it and, and you play it. And, um, if you've developed your game for two weeks or something, um, you have played it one week out of, out of these two weeks. So you are the best player for this, for this game that isn't even <laughs> released yet. And, and so you tend to make games way too hard. And it's, it's really crucial to have some play testers at the end. Um, but one tactic to, um, to kind of mitigate this is to have checkpoints in your game. So what I did for Biolab Disaster for the first game I made um, was to actually m- make it pretty hard if you are not a gamer, but there are checkpoints throughout each level where the game world persists. If you die, you just are teleported back to this checkpoint, but all the enemies you have killed uh, will remain killed. So that's a bit of a punishment, but it's it's not too bad. And Basically, with this, everyone can finish the game. And it was uh, pretty important for me that 
um, for the, for this first game I wrote that everyone can play it and can finish the game regardless of, um, how experienced they are. And then there's, um, another thing that I figured out with the, uh, Z type game, the, the typing game is that there are some types of games that, um, everyone can play or people can play that are not usually, um, wouldn't call themselves gamers. So, um, you know, this typing game is, was getting so popular because it's not like any other game. If you, if you can type on, you know, if you know how to use word, um, you can play the game. And that was, was, uh, was really, yeah, great boost in popularity for this game. Again, there's, there's no real definite answer to, um, to say what's fun and how to make a game fun. You, it's, it's just, um, you have to iterate, you have to, have to program it, have to play it and repeat. <laughs> So I actually took a tiny break from listening. I was listening at the same time, but I just booted up playbiolab.com. And this is really polished. Like there's a lot more to this than just the interaction of the enemy of, of, of the objects, right? Like all the enemies have little animations that kind of telegraph what they're going to do. So they're, they're going to try and attack you, but you can still avoid it. And there's like sweet background music and stuff. Part of the intimidating thing in game development to me seems to be the vast array of stuff you have to know how to do. Like, I could program this. I couldn't create the graphics or do the sound design or do the animation or anything. How do you, do you just have to be a wizard to do all this or do you farm it out <laughs> to other people? Or Yeah, you have to team up with other people who can do this stuff. For instance, for Biolab Disaster, I, um, I had a good friend who did all the music and sound design for it. Because I have no idea how this, how this all works and how you can, you know, I'm not a musician. I really struggled with the, with the artwork, I have to say, because I don't consider myself to be an artist. But, uh, the, the interesting thing is, you know, Biolab Disaster is quite, uh, low res. It's, um, it's a retro style game. So, um, I think the game screen is only 240 by 160 pixels. Um, so it's really tiny. And if you don't have to paint that many pixels, you can, do that much wrong so um, you know the, the smaller the graphics are the better they will look I think so um, doing pixel art is, is one of the um, one of the ways to get out of this uh, you, you know of the of the graphics design stuff and if you um, if you want to have a nice looking game you can always team up with other artists um, there's for instance there's a, a subreddit called game dev classifieds where people are that um, are searching for artists or um, artists um, say they want to work on a game and um, show off their portfolios and stuff like that. So I think it's uh, it's not that hard to find someone. Um, you know, if you if you can prove that your game is fun to play, just just make it work with um, you know with colored rectangles or something, and uh, present it to someone who um, who can do all the graphics and get them interested. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those people that would definitely have to team up with somebody who has the artistic skills. Um, I think you could probably go find some music on like uh, Audio Jungle or something like that that you can loop and just find different clips for different stages in the game or whatever. Right. Um, there's also a site called OpenGameArt.org, which is actually what the name says. You can find some some artwork there that is um, under different um, open source licenses. So um, sometimes you don't have to give attribution at all. Sometimes you just have to um, state the credits on the title screen or something. And there's a lot of good artwork on there that you 
just can um, use in your game. Just throw it in there and you know set up the the animations and you're done. I don't think the it's it's that intimidating to build a whole game. Um, you know you can can start small and again make everything with colored rectangles or something, and um, just prove that the game is fun to play. And um, there actually there are many games with crappy graphics out there that that really well. So um, for instance, if you know Doodle Jump for uh, for the iPhone, sure. Um, the the graphics are drawn with uh, with pencils, I think, and scanned in and. It doesn't really look like much, but um, it's fun to play, and that was all that's needed. Yeah, I've played a few games that don't have incredible graphics, but they're they're interesting to play. And one comes one that comes to mind for me is uh, called Bubble Ball on the I don't iPhone. Know that one. Yeah, the the graph the graphics are kind of uh, they're not they're not really polished, but it's a puzzle game, and so you're trying to figure out how to position all of your different pieces and elements so that um, when you release the ball it you know rebounds off of everything or interacts with the different uh, elements that you have there so that it winds up at the goal and so sounds a bit like the uh, incredible machine games I haven't seen those. You know that uh-uh. they are pretty old from the 90s I think um, where you had to um, you know just get some some objects into um, into a goal somewhere and you had to place um, all these springs and uh, conveyor belts and stuff like that in the game world. That would be, uh, that Rube, would be way fun. Is it Rube Goldberg or something like that? Something yeah, exactly. It. Right, so they just give you a bucket of parts and you get to put it all together to... Yeah. Yeah, I think that could be fun. So I wanted to ask another question too. So one problem I see when people start trying to design games is they, they make them really complex. Like they've maybe played a lot of video games, but haven't really written one before. So they, they're like, I'll have this thing from Halo and we'll take this thing from Starcraft. And like, think of all these AAA games that have huge teams of hundreds of people and tens of millions of dollars poured into them. Where do you go to get your ideas and how do you, how do you make sure that you are creating a game small enough that you can do yourself? I, I think that just comes with experience. Um, the interesting thing about Impact is that um, at the beginning, it was mostly um, uh, people from the from the web development crowd that were interested in, in Impact. Not so much game development people, but web development people that wanted to build games. And, you know, they most of these have a programming background and they know um, how complicated things will get. So... Um, but occasionally, of course, there's there's someone who says, um, "I want to make a game like World of Warcraft, but bigger and with <laughs> thousands of players on on the same screen and stuff like that." Problem with World of Warcraft is it doesn't <laughs> do enough, and, and my game would be better because it'll do more stuff. <laughs> exactly. So, um, w- what I always tell people is to start really, really small to um, to build something like Pong at the beginning, or to take one of the example games that come with Impact and um, just implement small ideas. So, for instance, if you have a jump-and-run game, um, you could implement uh, things like teleporting around or um, trying to get two players working, maybe with the same keyboard on the, on the same screen, as, you know, and you have to jump off of each other and stuff like that. Um, so to, it's, it's quite hard to, um, to know how much work everything will be at the beginning, it's it's one of the things you have to figure out yourself, but um, I think you can't start small enough. So always at the beginning, just try to finish something 
uh, something really tiny. It doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to have a lot of levels or be a, um, tell a story or something, but just try some to, to make something that is fun to play, even if it's just one, one screen and takes two minutes to play. So I also wanted to talk a little bit more about impact specifically instead of game development in general. Do you have a trial license or how do people check out impact to see if, if they want to buy it? Yeah, that's complicated. Um, I thought a lot about offering a trial license, but in the end, it's it's really hard to do because if you buy Impact, um, you get the uh, the whole source code for for the for the whole game engine and the level editor with it. And it's really important for me that you get the source code in a readable form, so not uh, minified or obfuscated, because I want people to to look into the code and understand how things are, what what is happening and how things work. So. Um, I thought about offering a uh, a smaller version of of impact as as a trial or something but you know I'm I'm working alone on this on the game engine so um I don't want to um to have to care about two different products or or a dumped down version of of one product as well I have a lot lot of uh, stuff to do with the with the game engine itself so what I do now is uh, if someone buys the, the game engine and isn't happy with it, I just offer, offer a refund. Um, so if you don't like it, just uh, write me an email and, and you'll get your money back. Um, that's way easier for me to handle than, than try a license or something like that. So how, how does, uh, have you done much web development? I've done quite a bit, yes. So how does uh, writing something like Impact differ from uh, the way that you think about regular web development? It differs a lot, I think. So, uh, what, what you have to do to, to write games is, um, you have to get this idea of a, of a run loop in your head. So, um, a game typically renders 60 frames per second. And, um, all the, the simulation that's going on is, um, computed 60 times per, per second as well. So you have these, these update and draw functions that are called 60 times per, per second for, for each game object and for each background layer. And, um, you know, if you understand this and, and know how the game loop works, that it's updated first and then drawn, you get an idea how to, how to, how to build all this. But it's nothing like classic web development where you have, you know, buttons and, uh, and a callback function when you press this button or something. Um, in impact, everything is continuously updated with these, with these update and draw functions. So it's, it's basically, um, I think it's closer to, uh, native game development than uh, than web development is is to um, to it. But it, again, if you um, if you're a JavaScript development developer and and know the language already, uh, I think you can pick up Impact really fast. So the the main barrier for for writing games is is um, mostly the language, not um, know how writing games in general works. I think. The other question I have for you is, I, I know this is kind of centered or focused around game development, but uh, I'm assuming there are other things you can do with a canvas. Have you seen people use ImpactJS to write things that are not games? I think there, there are some people who, uh, who wrote some, some interface stuff with Impact, but Impact is pretty closely tailored to, uh, to action games. And, you know, you have this, this update loop and you want to have stuff moving on the screen all the time. It's really meant for games. Um, you can write some some interface stuff in it, and even if you want to, you can make a website for it. I actually had one guy who made his wedding invitation 
um, the background on his wedding uh, invitation <laughs> website was an impact game where you controlled the, the prize man. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, I think impact is, is really tailored to, towards games, and I wouldn't recommend writing anything else in it, actually. That's so awesome. I've been looking at the code a little bit, and it looks like you have your own module system where you you call require and stuff. It kind of looks AMD-ish, but it doesn't look like it is AMD. Is that true? Yes, it is. Um, when I started Impact there, actually, I think Require.js wasn't released back then. And, you know, I kind of invented this this module system to um, have everything um, loading asynchronously. But in the end, if you if you want to publish your game, there's um, a small script file that you can call on your on your PC or Mac, which combines all these uh, scripts into into one big um, JavaScript file uh, for release on, on websites. So yeah, that's one of one of the pain points right now, and I want to address this with uh, future versions of Impact to you know to have um, maybe support Require.js or have the AMD style, so to to make loading of different libraries easier. The uh, the module system in, in Impact works quite well, but it's um, you know it's kind of it's only used for for Impact and Impact plugins. And if you want to uh, include libraries like this, you have to wrap it in, in through these modules um, in the in this module system. Sure. Of course, you can you can just um, include JavaScript files on your HTML page um, as well. Um, but if you want to have it in the module system, you have to you know wrap it up. Sure. So, is there any any part of the engine that has some really interesting technical things to talk about. I mean, I have a couple more questions, but I want to see if is there is there any cool technical stuff in the engine itself you'd like to talk about? Well, I think the the main the main um what I really wanted to do with Impact is to have a game engine where you can look behind the curtain where the the game engine is not a black box. I wanted to have something where you can um look into and understand what it does. So, for instance, if you're wondering how the collision detection uh, works in in Impact, you can um, just open the uh, entities file and and see how entities collide with each other and how this how the collision is resolved. Um, the there's, the source code for Impact is is pretty um, is pretty small. There are not that many lines of code, and that's a design choice. Um, of course, there are quite a few clever tricks going on to work around browser bugs and to make canvas drawing really fast. Um, one thing, for instance, is if you have a tile map. So, I don't know. Do, do you know what a tile map is? Is it kind of like a CSS sprite sheet where you have just all your images on one on one image uh, and then you map different parts of it? Or yeah, exactly. So, for instance, for BioLab disaster, I had um, a tile map with um, a game world, and for impact, is made up of of different tiles. So, for instance, you have a tile size of sixteen by sixteen pixels, and um, you take 16 by 16 pixel tiles from a from a big um, tile image from a big tile sheet, and just draw your your levels with these tiles, and so so you have this um, this big um, map that tells um, the game where each tile goes in the game world, and what Impact does is to um, go through this map and draw um, each tile that is on the screen um, where it's supposed to go. And at the beginning, and um, it's still on mobile process, this can be quite slow to, to, you know, go through this map and and draw each tile by tile. So if you have 16 by 16 tiles and a screen size of 640 by 480 or something, um, you, you're drawing hundreds of tiles per frame. Um, and to speed this up, 
um, I have something in impact that pre-renders all these uh, background maps into bigger images so that you have just one draw call instead of um, thousands. Um, and this speeds up uh, stuff for for mobile phones tremendously. Um, so that's one of the clever hacks that are in impact right now to to make it work on um, on, on slower hardware. So you, you pre-compute all of the possible backgrounds and then cache them, or I don't understand how that works. Yeah, um, basically, yes. So um, you, you have this level editor with, that comes with impact, and um, you're just building your level with this um, by picking the tiles from your tile sheet and, and painting them on a background. Oh, okay. Map. That makes so sense. You, yeah, you have this background map that consists of tiles and... Um, instead of drawing each tile by tile on the screen for the game, um, it is pre-rendered into big-ass images, and this uh, makes it really easy for the browser to draw efficiently. Okay. And this yeah. all works transparently in Impact, so you just have to set a flag for your background layer and say, I want to have this, this layer pre-rendered in the game, and Impact does all the heavy lifting for you. I didn't know there was a level editor with it, so I was having a hard time imagining how it could know what to pre-render, but that makes sense. Um, okay. Another question that came up, you, I mean, you've done a lot with mobile browser stuff, obviously, and games specifically seem like they kind of push the boundaries of browsers a little bit. You must have just an in-depth knowledge of all the crazy browser arcana, all, all the weird stuff that mobile browsers do. Um, how do you figure out, I mean, how do, you, how do you learn that stuff? How do you learn that, like, Safari on iOS 6, does this weird thing with audio, so you have to tweak it somehow. Or does that make sense? Yeah, it's difficult. I I think you learn it by, you know, by running into it. If you're, you're wondering why your game doesn't work or why it doesn't load audio files, you just have to dig into it and, and try different stuff and see what works and what doesn't work. You know, if you're on the on the forefront of something, it's there, there's not much documentation that you can rely on. And you know, for impact, I I wanted to abstract all the stuff away so you can care about writing the game instead of caring about browser bugs. I only partly succeeded because uh, the audio API is still horrible and basically useless on mobile phones, which is really sad because I I don't see a reason why audio um, shouldn't work. It seems so simple, but um, I guess browser vendors don't care. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, uh, sometimes it's really difficult, but um, it's it's getting better. For instance, the uh, canvas drawing performance on the on iOS four, I think, was really really bad. Um, as soon as you resized the canvas element, um, it was it dropped down to two frames per second or something. So you oh, had wow. to care to um, always draw in the in the actual screen resolution, which was complicated because of all the Retina devices, and you had to double the canvas uh, size to still draw in the native resolution. But they fixed this. Um, so now you can just rescale your canvas element with CSS and um, don't have any performance issues with it. And, you know, mobile phones are getting faster as well. So performance is uh, not that much of a problem anymore that it was two or three years ago. So I'm hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday you can take some of the hack- browser hacks out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, for the for the next major version of Impact, I actually want to um, rewrite the the whole audio API stuff that I have in Impact. And you know, there's this uh, Web Audio API, the the new one, not the audio elements, 
which works in uh, Chrome, and I think it derives in Firefox as well. And it's it's way better suited for um, you know for real time audio for to have responsive uh, sounds sound effects. The audio API that I'm currently using was actually designed for streaming audio. So, for instance, if you want to listen to a podcast or something, that you would use this audio element, and it was never intended to do real-time sound effects for games. But um, the desktop browsers um, at least do a pretty good job with it right now. So you can uh, you you have sound effects in, in desktop browsers that work pretty well, but on mobile phones, it's it's still pretty horrible. <laughs> So what's the what's the testing story with ImpactJS? What do you mean? So um, if I write a game and I want to write tests for the different entities that I have in the game, is that hard? Does it play nice with things like QUnit or Jasmine? I actually have have no idea about this. Um, there are a couple of people on on the Impact forums that have implemented tests for for Impact. And you can read up a bit there, but um, I have to be honest, I, I don't I don't know if it plays well with any of the testing um, environments. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It seems like game development doesn't have as much of a culture of testing. I, I'm not into it, so maybe this is my outside perception. But right, I, I think you can um, you can write unit tests, but um, mostly for games, you want to test behaviors and. Um, you know how how the game actually feels, and implementing this in an automated manner is probably quite complicated. I think you really need to have have something that can capture the screen contents and analyze it, something like that. Um, again, I'm I'm not really into that <laughs> that much. Yeah, that makes sense. So, if somebody wanted to get started in game development, what recommendations or suggestions would you have for them? Just just get started, or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I think the the best way is to take one of the example games uh, or one of the, you know, there are a couple of HTML5 open source games. Pick something small and and try to um to figure out how it works and to to implement your own ideas on top of it. That's that's the one way to do it or to you know, um try something really simple and like like Pong and Try to program Pong for for a beginning, and um, you will figure out all these all this basic stuff that you need for for every game. Um, so um, this continuous update loop and stuff like that. I think Pong is the only game I've ever written, actually. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm not a game developer. You are now. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess I developed Pong. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I guess you just have to do it. To, to figure out how it really works and how it all ties together. There are some, for, for impact, there are some, uh, some screencasts that you can watch where, where some of the stuff is, is explained and how you lose, use the, uh, level editor. So that's quite an easy start, I think. But yeah, have, have a look at example games and figure out how they work and try to change things. Even if you just begin to, you know, um, if you have a pong game and, uh, and you want to make the ball faster. Um, try to do that. Um, if you want to have uh, two pedals for each player instead of one, try to implement this. Um, you know, just little changes and, and see how this um, all ties together. So what about um, multiplayer and networking and communication and all that sort of stuff? <clears throat> Does Impact have a lot of stuff built in to support that, or is that all things you'd have to add by hand? Again, Impact hasn't um, anything built in for multiplayer right now. That's one of the things I want to have in the next major version. 
Um, there are some people on the forums again that uh, build plugins for um, for networking stuff. For instance, with uh, Socket IO, um, it's everything over over web sockets. You can just uh, load a plugin and uh, synchronize entities over um, two or three players, or you, you know, um, have have game rooms and um, and let players join and, and leave. So there are some community solutions right now, but nothing mm. built into Impact. Gotcha. And it's I have to say it's a it's really hard to get right. So um, and if you if you uh, want to um, have a game that is networked and especially for action games, um, the kind of games you typically typically uh, build with Impact, you have to have everything in sync with each other. So, you know, it's no fun to... You know, it's from, from the old days when you played Counter-Strike or something and you shot at the enemy and um, you didn't hit him, um, but but it looked like you hit him. So getting everything in sync and, and make it still fun to play, and, and um, it's it's quite hard, to, to be honest. Um, and WebSockets add a bit of delay, so you have about I think, 30 or 50 milliseconds to delay to to sync everything up. Yeah, it's it's still a topic I have to have to research quite a bit for for the next version to to make this work easily. All right. Well, do you guys have any other questions, or are there things about Impact JS that we didn't ask about, Dominic, that you want to cover before we wrap up the show? How do I instantly change my job into game development and make twice as much money as I'm making right now? Mm. Uh, that's <laughs> confidential. I can't answer that. <laughs> it's microtransactions. That's, that's the yeah. $1,000 yeah. Impact JS package. <laughs> I'm sure that's what half the people listening to the podcast could be thinking. I want to go into <laughs> game development, but I want to make more money than I'm making now. So uh, I can address some of this just because... Um, on the freelancer show, we've talked a bit about products and I listen to a lot of people who sell products. And the, the main thing that you have to know is that writing your app is only going to be about 20 to 30% of the work and marketing it. If you want to make a lot of money on it is going to be 70 to 80% of the work. So, um, if you want to know how to make a lot of money writing your own games, you're going to have to figure out how to sell it. I think I was uh, pretty lucky in that respect. Um, the game I talked earlier about the um, the typing game Z-Type, I didn't do any marketing for it at all. Um, I, someone posted it on Reddit and it went to the to the front page and oh, stayed there, there for for a day and a half. And um, it has been all over the web since. So um, I actually don't know much about marketing. I guess I'm just lucky. <laughs> yeah, it seems like for every one of those, there are hundreds of others that don't have that kind of exposure just come up right you know you but um if you want to monetize your your impact games um you know the easiest thing is to just have an um an ad banner on the on the site like google adsense or something and this worked uh, quite well for me and if you bundle your your game as a native app with ejector or cocoon js you can use the uh, built-in apis for um for the app store for in-app purchases so if if you want to monetize your games and, and have these in-app purchases, um, you certainly can, even with, with HTML5 games. Um, I think that's probably the best way right now to, to monetize your games. So because you didn't have any questions uh, previously, I can tell you something interesting um, that came up in, um, I think, two months ago. 
um, Nintendo actually approached me and they have um, for their Wii U, um, they have a, a web framework called Nintendo Web Framework, which is basically um, like a WebKit browser that runs on the Wii. Um, and it's um, you can use this framework to, to build apps for the Wii U. And uh, they approached me and, and asked me if I, um, if I wanted to try uh, using Impact um, with this. And I tinkered around a bit and gave them a bit of feedback and um, they updated the, the framework and, and made it really fast. Um, so I actually uh, presented the, uh, uh, a game of mine called X-Type with, um, there's, there's a lot of bullets on the screen and it's graphically quite impressive, I think, for HTML5 games. And I have this running on the, on the Wii U game console right now. And, um, I'm hoping to, to release, uh, to, to bundle this every, everything up and, uh, release a plugin for Impact to make, uh, view development easier with this. So, um, you have controller support and stuff like that. So that's, that would again, be that's, awesome. Yeah. So it's quite cool to, to sit on your couch and, and play your browser games, you know, with, with a good controller and analog sticks. And it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I've got a Wii U, but I have no idea what to do with it. <laughs> I actually, so, my company works with the Wii U, so it holds a special place in my heart. Cool. We make the TV app on it. Waiting for oh, yeah, Mario Kart. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Wind Waker's out right now. That's what I'm playing. I was going to say, it holds a special place in your paycheck. <laughs> that too. All right, well, I think we're about at the the place where we usually stop and do the picks, so... Hey, um, one other question, one other question. Have you done anything with the Ouya? I tried to, but um, I actually was one of the Kickstarter backers, and um, I still waited quite a long time for, for the Ouya. But when it arrived, I was really disappointed with the controllers. They, you know, they feel like cheap plastic. And it's it's difficult to um, to get controller support right now into into your browser game. Um, okay. I think Cocoon.js is implementing this. Um, but they haven't released it right now, so I guess it should be working in in a month or so. Okay, I'll look forward to that if some games, web games, get on there. I hope so. All right. Well, let's let's do the picks. AJ, what are your picks? I'm going to pick the. Uh, there's this game recorder. It's supposed to be for like PlayStation and Wii U and that kind of stuff. But I tried it out at Utah.js for recording a presentation, and it actually worked. I had to get an extra HDMI dongle to make it work with Mac, but um, it was really simple. Uh, I mean, aside from Jameson thought the cabling was really complicated, but now I've put all the cables in a shoebox and just drawn out the cables that are needed. But if you're if you're looking for presentation recorders, uh, the ones that I found that are like plug and play where you just set the thing down, power it in, plug it into the computer and hit record, and then it would output to the projector. Um, they're in the range of like 1500 and up. Uh, whereas you can kind of hack this together with uh, an HDMI splitter from eBay and wireless mic for under $300. So um, this Avermedia live gamer portable is what it's called. And then the little adapter pieces that go with it. Uh, other than that, I'll have a disc pick. I hate HDMI. It's so terrible. Oh, it requires so many dongles and adapters and things to like split out the audio or do really simple stuff. 
You just got to get those $700 cables so your bits flow through. Yeah. yeah, they have to be gold-plated. Exactly. That means your well, bits are gold-plated then, and, and everybody wants gold bits. There, There is actually a box that does exactly what I want, where you can plug in HDMI and component and composite and get out stereo or you know whatever it is that you want. Like everything just goes into one box and it's got like 10 connections. So you could actually hook up all your stuff and have it hooked up to a home theater projector. But it literally is 600 and some odd dollars. Anyways, nice. that's, that's all. All right. Uh, Jameson, what are your picks? I have two picks. One is a Tumblr called Hot Dogs or Legs. And it's pictures of either people or hot dogs in a leg-like position, and you can't tell whether they're hot dogs or legs. <laughs> it's pretty much what it says on, on the tin. Um, no! <laughs> it's amazing. I think Chuck just went to it. I, yeah, it's pretty good. And then my second pick is an upcoming game called Soma Systems. It's by Frictional Games, which are the people that made Penumbra and Amnesia. It's kind of a horror game. And it's not out yet, but it, it has a really uh, SCP feel. If you don't know what SCP is, it's the Serve, Contain, Protect wiki. It's like this wiki of all these really creepy sci-fi horror stories. Um, there's kind of a theme to them all, but I won't explain it all here. But it, it just looks amazing. They've got some teaser videos, and uh, it basically looks like SCP the game, which would be awesome. So those are my two picks. All right. Joe, what are your picks? My first pick is going to be the movie Gravity. Went and saw it on Saturday in IMAX 3D, and it was amazing. Just absolutely amazing. And if you go see it, you got to go see it in IMAX 3D. It was just a beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, I'm also going to pick the MyCube. I actually uh, got one as sort of a prize or payment for speaking at a user group, and it's just a little, like, inch and a half by inch and a half cube that's a portable speaker little charge uh, battery in it and you can plug it into your iPad or phone to get decent sound and I just absolutely love that thing the battery lasts great, it's really reasonably priced, very portable just really enjoy being able to actually hear my phone you know if I want to turn on some music on my phone if I'm out somewhere or my iPad, be able to play my iPad and have other people hear it and it's really, it really has a decent volume to it and my last pick is going to be the new book by Brandon Sanderson called Steelheart. I picked that up a few days ago, and I've been reading it. I'm about halfway through, and it's been really enjoyable. Very great. Super, super, super enjoy that. I haven't read anything yet of his that I don't like, so really liked Steelheart. Nice. All right, I've got a couple of picks. Um, the first one is I've been learning Chef and uh, been using it to set up uh, a Rails app, and it's really cool. So um, I'm going to pick Chef. Um, I'm also going to pick Hosted Chef by Opscode, and there's a tutorial out there that I followed that uh, that I, I've been using to, to learn it, and uh, that's done by Nathan Harvey on the Food Fight Show. So uh, I'm going to pick that too. And finally, my last pick, I actually went and... Uh, I got a Pluralsight subscription so I could watch Joe's AngularJS course on there, and it's really good. So I'm going to pick Joe's course because it's awesome. And uh, Thanks, Chuck. 
yeah, no problem. It, it it really has been helpful for for picking up this Angular stuff, and I'm I'm really excited to start doing stuff with it. So, Dominic, what are your picks? Uh, you put me actually in a quite awkward position here because one of my picks was I, I mentioned it earlier because you asked uh, clever questions. So um, the first pick was um, OpenGameArt.org. So um, this is this website where you can find um, artwork for that you can use in your games free of charge, and there's um, really good stuff on there. Um, you know, there's um, some some amateurish art on there as well, and um, but there. Even the um, the stuff that doesn't look as polished, you can use as a basis for your game and and work on it. On it. And um, one of Impact's example games actually uses um, artwork from from this website. And the interesting thing is, uh, there was um, the the artwork that I'm using for for this demo game um, is kind of um, high resolution vector looking stuff, and it's quite polished. And uh, someone on this website um, took all this artwork and made a tiny pixel version out of it, and it looks really cute. So, um, yeah, open game art. Um, pretty amazing website. And the second pick I have is a game called Little Big Mansion. Of course, it's written with impact. Um, and it's kind of a puzzle game and kind of a platformer. And and it's it's really... A, a unique and a cool idea. I haven't seen anything like it before, and I think it's one of the the best game ideas since uh, Portal. So um, go play this. Cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and start uh, wrapping up the show. I do want to mention our silver sponsor, uh, Reg Braithwaite's uh, JavaScript Allonge, uh, and thank Reg for supporting the show. And AJ has another pick. Yeah. So there's this band called Can't Stop, Won't Stop, and they haven't gained a lot of popularity. I don't know why. They're kind of like 80s rap, but more ska-like. So it's like a clean, uplifting rap style of music. And then there's Lindsey Sterling, who is this amazing like violinist or cellist, I think violinist. Anyway, and they came together to put a song together called Come With Us, and it's amazing, and I love them both. So if you haven't checked out Lindsey Sterling or Can't Stop, Won't Stop, do it. All right. Well, thanks for coming, uh, Dominic. Uh, really thanks appreciate, for having me. Really appreciate all the, the feedback and the work that you've put in on this. Uh, definitely something I'm going to need to go play with. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, yeah, we'll, thanks. We'll wrap the show. We'll catch you all next week.